Welcome to the only show bringing cops and the community together for some real talk and some real listening. This is uncut. This is uncensored. This is Black and Blue Live. Hey, welcome everybody to Black and Blue Live. How you guys doing out there? My name is Dale. I'm the host. That over there. Can you see it? Where, where's I'm my late. finger at? Over there. Yeah, I, I always okay. got this problem right there. There she is. Right here, right here. That's here. Elizabeth. How you, how you guys doing out there? I hope We're everybody's so enjoying the show. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. Thank you. So how, how you, you doing? Let's, oh, I'm you know what? How you doing? You know what? We're going through a house remodel right now. And just yesterday I was breaking up tile. Is this whole week is it's just crazy and I'm not having fun. I wish I would have paid somebody to do it, but nonetheless we're doing it and hey, it's gonna it's gonna be beautiful. We'll invite you over as soon as we're done. So I'm a, I'm gonna need to come because I I know I got a room. I, I know one of those <laughs> somewhere areas. somewhere so, yeah somewhere, back somewhere. back here maybe back. not in the street down the street somewhere. Right? Yes yes. So yeah so uh, welcome to Black and Blue Live everybody. We appreciate everybody for joining us here today. We're going to have a great conversation with some professionals about uh, this phenomenon going on called Asian hate. Uh, hate is terrible in, in all forms, regardless, but this phenomenon has been on the rise uh, since 2020 uh, for various reasons, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but first, uh, uh, Lizzie, have you ever had any uh, Asian friends that have, uh, you know, what's going on, coworkers that have talked about what's going on right now? Um, I haven't had anyone recently discuss um, what's going on, but for me, a lot of my Asian friends had, it, it's always been a conversation. Unfortunately, um, it's been heightened with a lot of um, nasty rhetoric and irresponsible uh, conversations and things that are being said. But yep. I think that the thought that all of a sudden this, um, phenomena was happening is very much a false narrative. There's always been discrimination and hateful yes. things happening in the Asian community, as well as other communities of color. Um, but now it's at the forefront because we have now people in power using hateful rhetoric, which is now increasing and feeding on paranoia and, truth be told, underlying racist and hateful actions, giving people yeah. an excuse to act the plum donkey, as yep. my grandma would say. But yeah, so right. I would say growing up, it was very much a conversation with my peers. Um, now, as I'm older, it's not a it's not a conversation that I've had recently, but definitely mm -hmm. aware of the issues. Yeah. How so, about you? Uh, you know, I've got some Asian friends as well, and, and, and we talk about that from time to time. Um, but uh, right now, you guys out there, we're going to bring on some some Asian professionals and we're Are we back? We're back. We're back. <laughs> that lose everybody. Technical difficulties, people. <laughs> we are live. This is live, ladies and gentlemen. This is live, but we are back. Uh, I froze there, but we are back. Is everyone still back here? I hope everyone's back because we are going to introduce with any further ado. Let's get our, our guest in here uh, so everyone can talk to him. Uh, why don't you take it away there, Lizzie? 
All right, and so we are so excited to introduce um, our guests that are here today. I'd like to first bring on um, from Mountain View, California, Chief Chris Shung to join us today. All right, where is Chief Shung? Chief Shung there? Oh no, Chief Shung. Chief Shung, I'll get you. He will join us in a second. <laughs> We also have out of Los Angeles, California, journalist and commentator, Amy Liu. There's there's Chief Shung there. there There's Chief Shung. How you doing, sir? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And thank you for joining us. Yeah, sorry about that. Typical 2021, the second you said we're bringing the guests in, all of a sudden my computer froze. So (laughs) here I am. Um, yes, hello, everybody. Technology. It's an honor to be here. Uh, you know, I, my name is Chris Chung. I'm the police chief of the Mountain View Police Department out here in Northern California, otherwise known as the heart of Silicon Valley. And uh, I've been doing uh, this role or doing this role for four months. I've been at Mountain View PD for 26 years, um, kind of born and raised in the Bay Area. Uh, policing is always something I've always wanted to do. And uh, it's, it's an awesome job career, but uh, happy to be here as a guest today. All right. Thank you, thank you. so much. Thank you. Let's get uh, back here. There you go. All right. <laughs> right Let's so take it away. Our next guest will be a journalist and commentator out of Los Angeles County, Amy Liu. Amy, are you there? Looks like she she logged she off there. So let's let's yes let's yes we are live, ladies so, and gentlemen. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, go ahead there, Liz, We're with our next. This is an important topic. And so also we have all the way from the LBC, uh, educator Vincent Poos. Vincent. Oh, my goodness. Everyone froze <laughs> up here. <laughs> hey, Vincent, can you hear us? I, I can. I can. But I don't know why it's freezing up. It's just uh, one of those things where it's like it was working fine, like Chief said. Uh, but then once you guys start introducing us, it starts freezing on me. But I hope I'm, I'm hearing, uh, being heard right right now. You guys good with me? Cool, yeah, cool. So hello, everyone. Okay, cool. Um, my name is Vincent Poot. I'm the activities director at Long Beach Poly High School, the Long Beach Poly High School with the most NFL uh, players uh, uh, coming out of the high school. The same high school that Snoop Dogg, Cameron Diaz, and Billie Jean King uh, graduated from. And of course, the high school, the flagship high school of Long Beach Unified, right in the middle of little Cambodia town um, of Long Beach, California. So I'm very honored to be here. I'm the activities director there working, you know, consistently just trying to make sure I keep up the that spirit of the Jackrabbits of Long Beach Poly High School. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. All right, and, and next we have Jonathan Lamino, a deputy out of Texas. Jonathan, would you join us? Hello, hello. Hi, uh, uh, am I loud enough? Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. How are you doing? Um, I'm Deputy Jonathan Lamino. I'm with the Bear County Sheriff's Office, and I've uh, been a deputy for the past five years. Uh, no, I'm sorry, six years. I love it. Um, I started to jail. Um, two years later, I transferred out to the streets while I was working uh, in control for the past three years. I love it. Um, I want to trade it for the world. Every day, uh, every day is different, and that's what I love about it. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to expect. Thank you so much right. for coming. And it looks, finally, looks like Amy's back. Uh, it looks like Amy's perfect. back. So, Amy, we're so excited to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for joining us, Amy Liu. Yeah, so I don't know what happened there. It just froze all the time, but I'm glad I'm back. 
<laughs> so my name is Amy Liu, and I'm really honored and grateful to be here today to talk about um, Stop Asian Hate. And that's something that I feel deeply passionate about. And I've been a journalist for about 10 years now and uh, with uh, various public, uh, private, commercial, nonprofit uh, organizations, news organizations. And throughout my entire career, I've, I've been really passionate about um, raising visibility and um, being a voice for the voiceless, particularly for the Asian and Asian American community, um, which I feel are marginal, often marginalized, overlooked, or underserved. Um, so that's something I, I, I feel very passionate about and very um, honored to be able to talk more about and to be able to infuse into my journalism career. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, and I'm really excited for this discussion. All right, so here we are. We're back. There's everyone there. This was some technical difficulties, but we got through it and we are still live. Every, everybody, we made it through. Uh, thank you for joining us, everybody, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. And we're going to have a great discussion here with everybody. We've already got some comments here on the side. Uh, thank you, Michael Powell on Facebook and Desmond Walker also on Facebook for chiming in. Uh, we're going to have some great conversations today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, first off, uh, you know, we, everyone introduced themselves, but uh, no one gave us your ethnic background. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about your ethnic background, everyone? We'll start one by one with uh, Chief Shung, and we'll work our way around. Tell us a little bit about your ethnic background uh, and your family. How many generations have been here in the U.S.? Sure. So um, I'm a first-generation son of immigrants. Uh, my parents immigrated here from uh, originally they were from China, but they uh, went to Taiwan shortly after the war. And then came here in the early 70s. I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but I'm pretty, I'm getting up there in old in age. Uh, being the first generation, um, English actually was not my first language. Uh, I speak Mandarin, uh, conversational. Uh, our grandparents uh, kind of you know, lived with us, as is common in many Asian households. Much to my parents' disappointment, I did not stick it out through Chinese school, so I can't read or write, uh, but I can speak and understand uh, Mandarin. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Amy, tell everybody about uh, your ethnic background and your family. Yeah, so I am ethnically Chinese, but uh, my parents are from Vietnam, so they're refugees of the Vietnam War. They're, so my grandparents are from uh, southern China in a province called Guangdong, and then they immigrated to uh, Vietnam, where my parents are born, and then they became and when the Vietnam War uh, happened, they uh, were refugees of that war um, when they came over to the U.S. So I am first generation, and um, I stuck it out through Chinese school, so um, I'm able to speak uh, Mandarin, um, Cantonese, and uh, Chu Chao, which is another, or Jiu that's another Chinese dialect. Um, yeah, so, but I don't really write and read that well, but luckily I am able to speak it, but my, my fiance, he makes fun of my <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us here. Uh, let me see if I can get the cursor back here. Here we go. And uh, Vincent, tell everybody about your family and uh, your ethnic background. All right, um, so I'm a second generation Cambodian American, uh, so my my parents uh, fled Cambodia during the refugee time, so they were refugees here um, during the Cambodian genocide that was happening over there. 
And um, born here, um, English is my first language. I am conversational with Khmer, which is the language of the Cambodian folks. Uh, and uh, excuse the, the background, like they'll say, oh, what's going on in the war zone? I'm in Long Beach, I'm at home. So you're gonna hear a little bit of the background. I'll try, I'll try my best to kind of mute that out. Um, but that's, you know, Long Beach, um, home of the largest Cambodian population outside of Cambodia. So that's unique in that I was born here in Long Beach, raised as a Long Beach person um, here throughout. But, you know, ethnically, I'm Cambodian. I identify with a lot of the folks here um, who are Cambodian American as well. My family, uh, um, honestly, we, we're probably on the fourth to fifth generation now, which is kind of insane considering that it felt like yesterday we were still kind of working on a first and second generation of our, you know, um, our siblings. All right. Well, thank you for, for joining us. And last but certainly not least, uh, Deputy Jonathan Mamino, go ahead and tell everybody about your family and your ethnic background. So, uh, I'm a first uh, first generation Filipino. My dad and uh, my mom are both Filipino. My dad actually uh, joined the military, uh, US, the U.S. Navy, at 22 years. And uh, he, met, he met my mom uh, in Guam, which is uh, where I was born. And we moved to the U.S. Uh, my mom ended up getting her citizenship and unfortunately i'm not really fluent in tagalog i can only know the the, the curse words that's pretty much how i uh, that's how i uh, learned to learn it but as far as uh you know, uh you know, regular conversation i really can't i actually speak more spanish than, than tagalog even though the languages are almost uh similar all right curse words huh <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Game. You're still ahead of the game as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I, I do want to follow up with that and maybe uh, Amy, you can speak to it and, and uh, Vincent next and then if anyone else wants to weigh into that. Um, with the diverse background, right, um, there is often the stereotype everyone assumes your ethnicity or your backgrounds. Do you think um, that has played into what your experience has been um, here in America in dealing with discrimination um, or the assumption, um, especially when we're dealing with Asian hate recently, the discrimination and stuff just being um, kind of, um, what I want to say, singled out, if you will, or automatically grouped into one category. What is What was your experience growing up with that? Because clearly this is a huge diverse um, journey for everyone here. So I don't know, Amy, you wanna to speak to that person and Vince and anyone else who wants to weigh into that, what, the, what that yeah. impact has been. Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. Growing up, um, fortunately, I, I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley area, which is, a area in Southern California where there's a large majority of uh, Asian population, particularly Chinese and some Vietnamese as well um, in my area, San Gabriel Valley. But um, so growing up, I didn't have as much of that. But then as I grew older, I went to college, I learned about the history behind um, Asians in America. And then actually I was on campus once and I was uh, walking and there were students um, visiting UCLA when it, where I was um, attending school at the time. And then they were just like, Kunichiwa, you know? And then um, when I was studying abroad in Spain, for example, I was just walking down the street and then here, here I hear it again, Kunichiwa. And I'm just like, I don't, I, I mean, I, I love Japanese, you know, food and culture, but I'm not Japanese. And 
I'm Chinese and I don't speak Japanese. So there's this assumption that there's all Asians are grouped to, lumped together and you you know, and, and there's, it's just like this huge monolith, but, but we're not, there's various, um, it's a very diverse community, um, from Japanese, Chinese to, to, um, Cambodian, Filipino, uh, Pacific Islanders. It's a huge, very, very diverse community, even within the AAPI Asian American Pacific Islander community. And often it gets, just gets lumped together. And then even related to that is that is a model minority myth, which is that, oh, you know, all Asians are successful. They don't need help. They don't need resources. But within the community, there's there's a huge gap. There's a huge um, disparity gap between um, various groups of um, Asians and Asian Americans um, from the wage gap. You know, certain Asian parts of the um, Asian groups of Asians um, earn more than others. You know, there's others that are, that need way more resources and um, more education, whether it be education or funding um, resources in the community. And I think that um, that's just as important to bring to light. Absolutely. I'm sure Vince speak to the educational part. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you, Amy, for, for bringing to light the, the diversity within the Asian culture or the Asian um, group. Um, and, and it's funny how uh, if you're looking at the big schemes of America, like who's here, who's immigrated to America, there's always that, you know, the, the, the concept of Orientals, right? The other, the Far East. And um, then you get the Asian folks who are like kind of like the other when they were just describing mainstream American culture because they're trying to include different, you know, folks who have immigrated to America. And then within the Asian culture, there's the other Asians, which is the Cambodians, the Southeast Asians, the Laotian, the Hmongs, the Vietnamese, um, and so on, that came um, at, at a different time. And I, I'm, I'm glad that Amy alluded to that because the Asian folks who have immigrated to this country came in so many different wa uh, waves. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, building railroads in, in, in the mid 1800s to, you know, the Vietnam War to, you know, you can, you, you can even say currently right now with, with stuff's going on with India and, and Burma. Um, so there's different types of folks who are immigrating here. And with that comes different challenges. Um, and with the Cambodian American experience, you get the challenges of being, you know, put in the same communities as Central uh, Americans and and uh, Mexican Americans, you know, neighborhoods and and African Americans here in Southern California and Long Beach, and you're fighting for the same resources and and your 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 refugees versus Im immigrants who are you know coming over with you know either skill sets or or the ability to to have jobs or you know get into a role in society that's already established in America. So then you get a lot of whole different experience. So and and my. Uh, own personal experience, I would say um, a lot of the Cambodian folks are really in line of just, oh, you know, they're refugee immigrants trying to come to America and really just trying to fight with resources or find resources with the same immigrants who are here in America to who are like recent ones. You know, it's not the same experience, I would say, as those who are, you know, who are Japanese Americans who are like third generations or Chinese Americans and so on. Um, and that's pretty unique because, like Amy said, to the outside world, they're all we're all Asians, though. Right, we're all Asian, and I think one of the things that I remember growing up and um, hearing is that uh, a lot of the Cambodian folks would get offended or mad when someone says, "Aren't you Chinese?" Or, or even in Spanish, were like "Chinos," or you know, "Those are the Chinos over there." And it wasn't even derogatory in that. And the fact that they were just calling a Cambodian Chino, it was just like 
for them, the Spanish word for Asians was Chino, at least what they understood. But I remember a lot of Cambodians would just get upset, like, I'm not Chino, I'm Cambodian, fool, I'm different. And, and, and that would just be like, you know, a whole different, you know, experience in itself. Um, and, and I think that's uniquely uh, um, um, within certain groups of the Southeast Asian community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else want to jump in there? Uh, either Jonathan or uh, Chief Sean? Um, I guess the only thing I would add is uh, the, uh, you know, you add that layer of how uh, Hollywood portrays uh, the roles that, you know, the, the, the roles that they, they get picked, right? The actors, actresses. Yes. They're all pretty much, you know, either a kung fu master, a villain, or, you know, a damsel in distress or whatever. And it's very much typecasted. And it really hasn't changed much over the last 50 or so years. Um, and, you know, to, to Vincent and Amy's point, you know, I, I can't think of anything right now where they've actually distinguished the variety of different ethnic differences among the diaspora, a big word for you know, all the different types of uh, cultures that are really represented. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna bring this up later. Uh, I'll jump in here real quick. Um, I'm a big comic book buff, so I watch all the comic book movies and all that sort of stuff. And Marvel just introduced a new a new character that's gonna have a new, new movie, Shang-Chi and the, uh, the Legend of the Ten Rings, and he's the first uh, Asian American or at least Asian superhero that's going to be on the big screen. But nonetheless, he's still involved with martial arts, and that's that. That kind of uh, delves into what you were talking about, Chief Shung, about you know certain stereotypes, certain kind of roles that uh, Asians get in Hollywood. But then we got the uh, crazy rich American uh, Asians that uh, my wife loves that that movie. She watches it like forty five times. <laughs> <laughs> a month, so yeah, that, that's a great, great movie. <laughs> Jonathan, did you want to add something real quick? Oh. oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah, go I was, ahead. I'm actually looking forward to that to that movie too. Uh, yeah, I mean that in uh, Mortal Kombat, which just came out. I mean, yeah, everyone's looking for look, everyone's looking forward to to it, but you know, like like like, like what she said, you know, it's a stereotypical um, Asian American male, female. In a, in a league doing martial arts and what else is new. You gotta put it in something different, but I mean, it's it's Hollywood. I mean, go yeah. do whatever to make money. And you can't yeah. put you know, Jackie Chan and Jackie Chan or Jet Li in a, in a dramatic lead. Who will watch that? Right. I think I would, but. <laughs> well, maybe not now, because they're a little little long in the tooth now. Well, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. I a really interesting point i think uh kung fu is uh th that's like like a uh, chief uh Chung said the typecast or it's the crazy rich asian another typecast but i think that slowly hopefully i mean like my hope is that like i think that it's starting to pave a way for more visibility at least more visibility uh, of Asians versus zero. And uh, not only that, but I think um, another aspect of that is um, Asian males in particular, I studied this extensively in, in colleges, has historically been emasculated by media, by, by American media. And I think that at least that is not happening. Yeah, right. yeah. All right. But, but definitely, there needs to be a lot more that lot a lot more uh, way to go as far as representation in media. 
Absolutely. And that, uh, hopefully this show has a little bit about to go, go ahead, at Lizzie. Do you all think, and, and maybe Chief Shung and Jonathan and anyone else that wants to weigh in, the lack of representation, um, whether it be in media or typecasted representation, and even in schools, right? Because I, I can count on my fingers and have fingers left over of teachers that look like me or people in power that look like me that I could look up to and say, that's who I want to be. Do you think that that has added to the dehumanization or the disregard um, of Asian Americans and, and Pacific Islanders? Do you think that that has had an, an effect um, because of the lack of representation or what we do get basically gives a perception of weakness or um, again, the model minority type of scenario that also yields to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I, and being the son of uh, immigrants, I, I think, you know, my parents looking back, they wholeheartedly believe the model minority myth. It was like how I was raised, right? Because their, you know, their mantra was like, you need to study to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. And I'm like, I suck at math. I can't do any of that stuff, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's true. I think the biggest impact is the impact on our youth, right? Because just to your point, Lizzie, if you're a kid and you don't see certain role models in a variety of positions or professions or careers, your your imagination kind of stops at that point, right? And I I, uh, I, I remember doing a quick search on you know how many Asian um, police chiefs there are in the state of California. I think the number is 12. Now I don't know how many you know police departments there are in California, but there's a lot. Right. And, and I know coming into this profession that it was not exactly, you know, you, you I could go to all these conferences and just really never see another Asian person for the first half of my career. But that's changed a lot over time. And that's that's a good thing. Right. And I think that the same could be said of a lot of other different career tracks. Um, you, you, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you can probably find a dime a dozen right in those those professions I named. Right. Lawyer, doctor, engineer. But, you know, my hope is that. Um, media and Hollywood really starts to highlight Asians in roles that are non-traditional and really to showcase to the kids that, you know, you can really be anything you want. Um, don't yep. sell yourself short. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, John. Right. Oh, um, yeah, just like what he was saying, like, I really, I was in high, when I was in high school, I was really horrible at math. I was good at everything else but math, and I was actually made fun of about that. Um, I was pressured into doing doing stuff like the typical Asian, uh, doctor, lawyer, uh, scientist. I didn't want to do any of that because it wasn't exciting. I didn't want to do a, a I didn't want to do a, a desk job doing nine to five. I wanted to do something that was, you know, that was different, that was exciting. And being a cop was one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're we're here today. We're we're discussing, you know, the uh, the uh, Asian hate phenomenon that's going on right now. The acts of violence and other crimes that are going on within the uh, not within, but to the Asian community. Have any of you ever experienced any sort of discrimination yourselves personally, or anyone in your family? Uh, we we could start with you, Amy. Has anyone ever uh, displayed any sorts of discrimination, any hate towards you or anyone you know? I think. Probably, I mean, I'm sure it has happened um, to me uh, with people who have maybe an unconscious bias um, in their head when they're talking to me um, or when they're interacting with me. 
And I, that's very unfortunate. But I, as far as actual hate crimes, fortunately, that hasn't happened to me. Fortunately, I mean, I have my whistle and everything. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I carry it with me everywhere. But uh, um, yeah, but yeah, fortunately, that hasn't happened to me personally. However, I have had uh, various instances uh, with people even in my community, even mutual friends. Uh, for example, one of my friends, her husband was just walking down the street when a person just literally came up and uh, with an axe and just wanted to chop him or something. Uh, yeah, literally down the street from where I live. Uh, just, wow. you know, a, just a city away. Uh, she's just walking down the street and then all of a sudden, uh, just walking while Asian, I suppose, um, just like a, just came up with an ax and wanted to, you know, attack him and uh, for no reason. And uh, this just happened very recently, maybe a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And I was just shocked. And then just across the street from where I live, my a supermarket, um, I live across the street from a supermarket. Uh, apparently there was a, uh, a, a, a elderly Asian couple who were being targeted, you know, uh, for, uh, there were these fra uh, fraudsters who approached them and were like, oh, hey, we're from the government and wanted information or money or something like that. And then they refused and then they got beat up. Yeah. And you know, it's just very unfortunate. And this happened several weeks ago as well. And I'm just really, I, I mean, this is, I, I'm hearing instances about hate incidents or even, and hate crimes on almost a daily basis now. And, and, and even on social media, when I'm scrolling down, I hear instances of an elderly, another elderly woman being beat up, you know, being, or, or, or being attacked, targeted. And uh, it's just, uh, yeah, every time I, like I said, every time I scroll on social media, it's a different incident or different hate crime happening. And it's, it's getting to be this, this, it's getting to be very, uh, to a breaking point, you know, it's, it's really heavy stuff. And I really feel that shows like this or an education and more, um, more discussions about it and ra or to raise awareness about this happening is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if I could jump in as well, Amy, I, I think um, for all my buddies and my boys watching, uh, watching now and listening to this, um, they're going to be really grateful that I'm going to say this. They're going to um, agree on that fact that Asian hate is probably like Amy mentioned that it's, it's probably on a daily basis. It's probably being highlighted more because, you know, it's been, you know, with the social media world, with how we were technology, we're able to see it more, but, we would say in, in the Cambodian American experience, it's nothing new. It's it's been something that we experienced, you know, with racialized gang violence, you know, in the early '90s. I went to the mid 2000. Uh, you know, a lot of those, you know, racialized um, hate crimes. And I, you know, come on, we got a, a history of that from the Chinese Exclusion Act to all the stuff that has gone on on a national scale level. Um, Asian hate crime has been, you know, a, a big part of the American, uh, you know, growth process. Um, and, and it's, it's not, not new. I think what's new is the documentation of, of what's going on and, and it's being, you know, uh, um, publicized and it's being put out there. And I would say hate crime and Asian hate crime in the past was probably more of the hate crime of, we don't understand who you folks are. You know, y'all Asian folks coming from what part of the world? Like, are you guys all Chinese? Are you guys all Japanese? We don't know. You're the other. So there's going to be a hate crime of like 
you're, you're, you're unknown to us. Whereas I think the hate, Asian hate crime now is the perception of what we think you are because words matter when folks are in the authority figure and is on a national level using words like kung flu, kung flu or china virus and purposely saying those things there's folks out there that don't know how to decipher like they're talking about you know on a political scale on, a, on an international scale or they're talking about you know the rhetoric is being used you know for um, political gains they're just simplifying sayings like well first we didn't know of the other asians now we're going to say this is what we understand Asian people uh, as uh, are, and then they're just gonna, you know, do hate crime based on that perception of like, you guys are responsible for this pandemic. And I think that's like something that we really got to put on uh, the forefront of what's going on. And why we're even talking about this, you know, we just, you know, recently, just yesterday, I don't know if you guys heard, there was a, a elderly Asian man in Harlem that was beat because he was, you know, walking with a cart of collecting cans and he's on life support right now. And he just immigrated two, uh, uh, two years ago. Now in the past, Keeping it real, he would be just another man walking by if, and, and with an unfortunate situation. But somebody who decided to commit a, a crime and then directed because he was an Asian man, somebody kind of put that, you know, two and two together saying like, you might be responsible for all the stuff that's been going on in our society. So I'm going to commit this crime against you now. Um, and, and I would say that is, you know, the discussion that I hope that we can definitely go, uh, go apart, go on towards. Yeah. Yep. And I know uh, Chief Shung and, and Jonathan, you guys are in law enforcement, so uh, you guys might have a different feeling, a different uh, response to those sorts of things. But uh, you guys are human too, and, and that's what this show is really about also, humanizing the badge. So if these sort of things happen to you off-duty uh, as well as on-duty, could you guys speak to that? Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Jonathan. Go ahead. Uh, it's not, uh, to be honest, I haven't really... Uh experience it that much maybe because i'm in uh maybe in texas we're a little more tolerant but i know it's a lot uh it's a lot more prevalent in other in the east coast as well as the west coast um but like every time i see uh every time i see something uh regarding uh old elderly asian person it just breaks my heart because i picture it as if it's my mom or my or my dad because they can't yep. they're they're old but i mean they can't they can't they can't defend themselves. It's it's hard. Like I always picture my my mom or my dad in that position, like that's somebody else's loved one. And it, it just breaks my heart every time I see it because it's too like like, like what Vincent said. Two years ago, it would just be another it would just be another person minding his own business. But now because of now because of the coronavirus, now because of the the, the crime rates against Asians are are steadily rising. It's Everyone, everyone knows it's so, social media is, is putting putting all this stuff on blast and it breaks my heart. It really does. Yeah, absolutely. And before you jump in there, Chief Shung, uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, Jonathan brought up uh, different coasts and where these things are rising. I want to bring up a little something here that I have uh, some statistics here. Let's see if I can bring this up here with all of us there. There we go. Um, let me actually just bring it to the forefront there. So this is a study that uh, the Cal State University San Bernardino uh, released, and these are reports of Asian hate crimes uh, within 2019 and 2020. I know now we're in 2020 and all those stats have not been uh, calculated and tabulated 
yet in 2021. But uh, you see here in uh, 2019, New York City had, this is reported now, uh, not necessarily all of them, but New York only had three reported uh, hate crimes against Asians. And in 2020, it rose to 28. LA, it went from seven to 15. Uh, Chicago stayed the same at two. Uh, I, I, would, I would venture to say there would probably be a lot more than all these that have been reported here. What, what is your thought on that, Chief Shung? Uh, have these rates actually risen in your area up in the Bay? They have increased, and it's an interesting quandary. I, I think they've always been there, um, probably grossly underreported. Um, and then you have a dynamic now where the media is probably covering it a lot more, um, right? And so it's kind of being more of the, the national narrative. Uh, and I know speaking from the Chinese community, and I, I don't know if it's similar in other Asian communities, but you know, growing up, uh, there was something that culturally, uh, it was almost like, don't rock the boat, right? Don't be a trouble to other people. And so, you know, when that's kind of ingrained in the culture, and then you add another layer, I know, you know, immigrants from like China who have a government that is uh, communist and the police department there works for the government. So there's gonna be a, an inherent level of distrust that if something were to happen to you here and you're an immigrant and you don't speak English, the odds of you reaching out to American law enforcement really starts to drop. So that's why I know, at least in our department, we try to do a lot of things in bilingual outreach, um, but really to educate the community and say like, you know, you're not gonna be a trouble to us to try to break through those cultural barriers uh, because we want people to feel safe. Do you feel Absolutely. that more departments should be taking initiative to do that? I know a lot of times we focus on um, our undocumented uh, Latino um, communities because a lot of times they are terrified of law enforcement. But and, and for me, I'm being educated because I'm like, I didn't even think about that for our Asian communities and maybe the stigmas or what the relationship is with law enforcement there. Is that something that you would say law enforcement needs to be more intentional on doing um, or does it need to go beyond law enforcement? Like Amy has said, do we need to say teachers and um, other people need to be more intentional in reaching out to provide resources? Yeah, I, I certainly think it wouldn't hurt, you know, for that intentionality to, to really have a, a concerted effort to, to outreach into those communities. I mean, nothing at all against the Latino community, but typically like in California, what you see is bilingual products are produced in English and Spanish, right? Or you call any customer service line, press one for Spanish and or English. But yet, like at least in my community, it's almost 30% Asian, right? But then going back to what we talked about earlier, which dialect or language do you speak? It's not as easy because at least in the you know South, South American Latin communities, most speak Spanish with just different kind of dialects. But for the most part, you can kind of understand each other if you're from different you know, Latin American countries. Asian, very different, right? So, you know, so that's a huge challenge. And I think for at least for law enforcement, that's where it helps to have officers who speak the language and understand the culture and can break right through those cultural barriers and speak to someone in their native language and then be the face of a connection to American justice. Wow, I, I yeah, I was, I, I wanted to make sure I got, got this in too, is the, I can't stress the importance and um, how I support more diversity in law enforcement, you know, whether it be like any people, any person of color, I, I just feel that that is so 
important to have, whether it be African-American, Latinx American, Asian American, I think it's so important to have diversity within law enforcement to be an ally and liaison to the community, especially what um, Chief was saying, um, you know, like uh, a, a, a face and um, that I think definitely breaks through the barriers, the cultural barriers, particularly in addition to language. And I Absolutely. think if I, if, if I can add on to this part, um, um, I, I really appreciate, you know, hearing that you folks are ready to, you know, to continue to, you know, communicate more and reach out to the communities. Because um, one of the things I think that we also have to touch upon is within the Asian American communities, that's that, you know, you guys alluded to it, the, the model minority, you know, uh, stereotype that's going on. There's also that if you're involving authority figures, you must have done something to kind of incite this as well. So if if something has happened to you, it's probably better to just kind of keep it inside, keep it within the family, the community, and try to deal with it in-house versus involving authority figures because you know, now you're, you're bringing un, unwanted attention, you know, you know, all this other stuff that's coming along with it. And I think when the education piece comes in and teaching folks that, hey, these are hate crimes that should not occur to you at all, at all, like 100%, yes. like you did nothing wrong. You're just walking down the streets, you know, and yes, that person may be of, you know, a mentally ill, or they may be coming from a, a, a personal space of, you know, of, you know, something that they're trying to deal with. And sometimes, you know, that model myth, myth minority says, well, it was just a, a bad situation. I was in a bad place at the wrong time, you know, and I remember, you know, hearing that from my grandmother when she was like, you know, doing the same thing, collecting cans, you know, pushing a cart, saying like, oh, you know, sometimes when somebody do something wrong, you know, the Buddhist way is to forgive and, and move on, right? Um, and, and educating folks, especially within the Asian American community saying like, you know, if they're, you know, attacking elders, maybe we should teach the elders, like, this is something that you should do, reach out to the police officers, you know, and, and you know, and, and seek assistance. On the social media end, you got the youth then who's popping off saying, oh, I wish they would do that to my grandma. I'll, I'll show them what's going on. And, so, and that's not the, the way. It's not, you know, as clean as like, oh, yeah, I'm going to retaliate because if, you know, I'm not that type of Asian. Trust me. Versus that, oh, no, we're not going to go to the authority figure because we don't want to bring attention. There's that middle ground that needs to be taught, which is like, hey, you know, the, the authority figures, the police are here to, to help us and you're not doing anything wrong. So if something like this happened, you need to report it right away so that you can help, you know, uh, stop this before it starts to spread and continue to grow. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So what, what do we think is the catalyst to all this recent Asian hate going on today, which really started in 2020? I showed you those stats, uh, you know, in some cases doubling from 2019. What do we think is the catalyst to all this sort of thing happening? You want to jump in there, Amy? Uh, what do you mean by catalyst? What, what do you think is the, is the impetus? What, how did this, all this start? This more Asian hate than was, say, in 2019 and before that? I, I know we got more that's being reported, but we all know that there's more Asian hate that's going on. Why do we think that is? Oh, I see. Yeah, uh, I think that there was always a history, a long history of racism, as uh, Vincent had uh, mentioned earlier, which started from the Page Act um, from several hundred years ago, which was the first immigration law that barred other people from other nations from immigrating. And that was actually against Chinese women. 
you know, because they were, they were deemed not, um, they were deemed immoral, you know? So, so that was actually the first immigration law. And actually, um, I was looking up at the statistics too. Women report hate, in, hate incidents 2.3 times more than men, according to the Stop AAPI Hate report that they had released in March. So I think um, I'm getting to the um, the impetus part, but um, as far as the long history of that, and including the 1880, 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, which then excluded Chinese men. So it's like, okay, first the women and then the men. And then, and then in addition to that, in the cold, during the Cold War, they actually tested the DNA of um, Chinese people, people of Chinese descent to prove the kinship with family because that was the only way that they could immigrate to the US at that time because they were afraid of communism with the Chinese. So I think that there's this um, long history of racism against um, people of Asian descent in America. Oh yeah, that's not, that's not to mention there's this, um, there's a massacre in 1871 in, um, in Los Angeles where 17 um, Chinese men and boys were murdered, were massacred. And I actually was listening to the um, a congressional hearing recently and a historian said that that was actually the largest mass lynching in American history. And so all of this is to say that there needs to be more education about the history of Asians and Asian, Amer Asian Americans in the US and this long history of racism, which has been exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic because of the scapegoating. You know, there's this um, otherizing, the scapegoating of um, people of Asian descent in America. And I think that speaks to it, that really exacerbates that scapegoating um, from people in power, um, unfortunately, um, in large part, but not only, but in large part to the last administration um, and, and some of those people in power, they have, really used um, terms that racialized, otherized, otherized um, and scapegoated people of um, Chinese descent, uh, or even just China, blaming them for the coronavirus, you know, for spreading it. And then yep. it just gets in this long history of racism, just just gets brought, brought bubbled up. And then it just exacerbated. And it just kind of came to came to light and uh it just it was like a watershed moment i think uh when the atlanta area shooting um when a uh when three uh three spas uh asian 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 yes. spas essentially were targeted um and uh eight people died and six were uh asian women so uh i think that that was kind of a watershed moment where we're, where it was like oh my gosh we really need to do something you know because there's just this violence and brutality against uh, people of asian descent here in america and i think that more and more people are hearing about it and, and more and more people are thinking wow something needs to be done here yeah absolutely absolutely you want to jump in there jonathan you got anything to say I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lizzie. I'm sorry. If I can, I just want to speak to what Amy was saying, too, um, in terms of the history. Um, and I think a lot of times there's a huge disservice to making it just because of um, the coronavirus. Um, this is happening where, in fact, America is steeped in history of racism and 
and genocide and all of these things, right? And I love my, I love America, but we got issues, right? And so when you look at that and the conversations, um, and if you look at the the bill that was recently passed, you had one of the senators say, "Well, I don't want my speech, um, you know, regulated because free speech is free speech." But truth be told, speech has power, right? And so as Vince had said, Vincent had said earlier, and things like that, the power of the speech really fuels people. Like you look at Hitler. He used his speech to fuel a nation, you know, um, towards hate and things like that. And so just uh, agreeing with what Amy is saying, when you're looking at the history of it, it's no surprise that with the right fire or the right fuel to the fire, we see now the, again, the, the, the flame burning or like how we in California have the forest fires every year, give the, give the right, give the right igniter. We're going to see this happen within the communities and it, it is upon us to really begin to correct it and deal with the, the dry wood. We got to get out the rot because otherwise I think it's going to be cyclic um, or we'll see it continue to happen um, and playing off of the stigmas or culture or um, kind of the, I guess, ingrained um, behaviors that people of color often have. And it, it ends up re-victimizing us not because we want to, but because we haven't dealt with these issues and almost taken advantage of the, you know, keep family business in the house is how we say it growing up, you know, where other it's an issue of honor or what did you do to make this happen or things like that. Um, do you find it hard when you all are working um, in various communities to get people to come out or to talk about it um, or overcome that hurdle of stigma or shame? Like what? Do you find that happening even now when dealing with um, maybe victims of hate crimes or those who are trying to overcome adversity, maybe not a reported hate crime? <clears throat> Go ahead, Chief Show. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it, I, I, we've had an increase, but I'm anecdotally, I think in the back of my mind, I'm pretty sure that there's more, right? And, you know, we have a downtown here in Mountain View, which is kind of an international all sorts of different restaurants from all across the globe. And I went in and talked to all the different shop owners, you know, Asian backgrounds, and they would tell me stories about people who would come in, try to shop at something, and then, you know, when they were confronted, here come the racial epithets. But that's not reported, right? And and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, them not wanting to cause trouble for the police department or bring dishonor on the family. And, and it's there's so many layers that, that come to this. Uh, and it is a struggle, you know, I think it, it's it's going to be incumbent upon the police departments to really outreach to the Asian communities and, um, you know, again, with officers that may ideally that speak the language, uh, because I, it, we can't help if we don't know, right? And so that's the, the struggle. Um, but also, you know, I think we need allies and advocates from within the community and, and you know, throughout the community to, to partner up with that. And, and you all know, especially the ones in, in law enforcement, we can't do this alone, right? Every single issue we've ever dealt with uh, in law enforcement has always been in partnership with the community. Absolutely. Jonathan, is there a large uh, Asian community down there where you're at in, in, in Texas? And if so, how, how are you in your department helping out with these uh, Asian hate crimes that is happening down there? Well, I just want to go back to the no statistics. I forgot to mention that there was one instance of uh, a hate crime uh, being uh, at a at a noodle restaurant here in San Antonio. It was actually uh, it was actually um, hit the mainstream 
the the restaurant was was vandalized with racial epithets. Um, telling you go back to China, yet the guy is uh, the the owner is Vietnamese, and it goes back to, um, you know, general uh, what you said, the catalyst is social media. People with power are fear mongering everyone, and you know, with that influence, they think that that's the right thing to do, which is terrorize us and put it put it on blast on all on social media. Social media is the main thing that that's really um, causing all this hate against against us because it, they only uh, put the wrong thing, and people just ride with it. Uh, now yeah. going back to yeah, going back to your question in regards to uh, uh, us taking a stance and bridging that that gap between us and uh, Asian American community. Well, my department we have a we have a liaison for every different um, actually every every different ethnicity. Um, we have a Muslim uh, liaison. We have an uh, Asian American liaison. It's not me though. Um, I'll probably I'll probably look into that. But uh, and what what she said, uh, there is the, definitely a, a a barrier between us and the community because where I'm from in Texas, the majority of us, uh, the majority of the community is Hispanic, and some of them have a hard time speaking English, and it's hard for them to open up to us because some of them they're they're I don't want to they they're they didn't come here legally and they're and here you know getting, getting deported and so but i mean it, it, it puts us in a rock in the hard place trying to help them and i really do like i really want to make make a difference out here yeah absolutely uh we've got a comment here send us up here so uh, elise klauser on facebook asked uh what advice would you share with AAPI's teens and youth dealing with hate? I know Vincent, you're a high school educator. Yeah. Why don't you start off with that? All right. Um, yeah, I, was, I saw that. I'm like, I'm itching to respond to that. Um, you know, one of the things I would say, I, I'm, I'm grateful that Chief brought this when he when you mentioned about you know working with allies and creating a community. And Jonathan talked about creating a community with the police departments and and the, the community out there, the folks that you guys are serving. You know the, the youth out there they're amazing right like let's like if you guys get a chance to sit there and talk to our our, our our youth of all backgrounds um because of the pandemic you know you actually see the best of this new generation you know they have grit um they've learned perseverance you know uh, this whole thing that we're dealing with in the world you'll, you'll see that the youth are coming out to shine one of the advice i will say is hey don't stop building your allies don't stop building your community because the youth are the first group that will and you know like jonathan mentioned social media they're, they're they're hooked on it they control that and sometimes it could be used for the bad and sometimes it can be used for the good and one of the things that they know is they can really build that social media connection and, and network and and then they they do it face to face um, with each other and 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 you know challenge them i will say hey if you're dealing with crimes with the aapi community don't hesitate to reach out to your classmates, your friends, your community, your soccer team, and just say, hey, you know, um, how can we find a way to to overcome this? How can we teach each other that this is not what, you know, we stand for? Um, one of the things that the youth will tell you is they don't hesitate to to call out what's wrong. They, they won't. They, they'll tell you right in their face, this is not what we experience, what we see in our community, and we will say this is not correct. And tell them if you have friends who are, you know, uh, of a different group and is willing to be your ally, continue to hold on to that because that's something that I think the youth can teach us adults. 
you know, and that we can all come together and, and, and find a way to connect with one another. Because if you go into a classroom and, and I, and I talk to Dale uh, about this all the time, if you come into a classroom, you talk to the kids, what's going on, where are the issues, they can give you a thousand things that's going wrong with this world. And then you ask them, what are you guys, you know, are doing to resolve that? They can give you a thousand responses that they can come back with and say, this is what we're doing. Um, and I, I would give that advice is continue building your allies, continue networking with another and lean on one another for support. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Chief Shung, what do you think about that as well? I know uh, Vincent was talking about uh, he appreciate what you said about that. What, what, what do you think about uh, what he's bringing up as far as the youth in this question here by Ms. Klauser? Rock solid. Um, you know, it, it's the only thing I would add would be, um, you know, with, with social media, the thing we got to watch out for. And I, I have four kids that are teenagers, so I'm saying almost responding as a father at this point. But it's like, we have to also educate the teens that you're not going to solve the majority of these issues over social media, right? You're going to communicate it, but what I see online is typically they're just they're shouting past each other, right? So yeah. the real takeaway for this generation is create the spaces for dialogue, create, you know, and it's hard because we got this pandemic, but we're almost coming out of it, you know, whether it's through the schools, it's through civic programs or whatever, but we got to create these opportunities for kids, teens, anyone who don't look like each other to get in the same space and to learn and listen from each other, right? Because otherwise we're left with uh, uh, what's filled everything you see on social media, which we know is always not the greatest. And then you got Hollywood, right? And now it's a typecasting thing all over again. So we got to break out of that. And as a society, you know, we've almost, it's, it's almost like we've lost um, the fabric of society where all these bunch of these individuals trapped in our houses. So we got to rebuild all those bonds but the only way that's going to happen is if we put the phones down and actually look at each other and actually talk to people that don't look like each other, um, because we all have different experiences growing up here in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Let me get another comment here from a Vivi V on Facebook. She says, uh, silence is just as bad as hate and injustices. If we stay quiet, we give it power. We need to speak up and refuse to accept it. What do you think about that comment there, Amy? Yeah, that's a yeah, that's that's really well put and well said. Uh, thank you, Vivi. Yeah, I was gonna say I it came to my mind that there's also bystander training, you know that that's that's uh, available out there. There's a free one available that's uh, offered um, in uh, it's called I uh, Hollaback, I believe, and uh, it's uh, I saw it first with uh, a tweet from the Asian American Justice. Um, Asian Americans advancing justice, um, who, who have been really active as far as, um, advocating for the Asian community and, um, really standing up against the hate. But then there's also bystander intervention and bystander training that, um, that's free and available to the, to the public and the community. And so I think that, uh, in addition to, to the actual AAPI community speaking up, I think that there's um, that allyship that that could also really help, you know, as if there's a bystander, um, if, if you're a bystander to hate, then speak up or, you know, do something about it or, or, um, or, you, you know, even just speaking up in general, and being an ally, I think is, is really helpful. Um, because I did see there are some, several instances um, recently where <laughs> someone was being attacked um, outside of the door. And I think um, some of the hotel workers were just literally just watching as the person was getting yeah. attacked. 
Um, and then fortunately, I saw another recent incident where they uh, somebody actually stepped in. So um, yeah, I think that that's really important, um, that, that community building, um, that allyship, I think is great. And, um, and uh, being a bystander, in addition to the actual AAPI community standing up and not being silent. Yeah, I would, I would say that uh, being bystanders and just standing around watching is, is kind of what our society is, has, has degraded down to. Everyone's just sitting and watching and pull out their phones which in some instances is, is a good thing. Uh, without a lot of these recorded incidents, we, you know, a lot of these things wouldn't have gone uh, public, you know, namely, you know, George Floyd and those sorts of things like that. So um, it, it is what it is, <laughs> the society we're in nowadays. Let me piggyback on what I just said about uh, George Floyd and all the, the uh, things that we had happened in 2020. Uh, you know, we just had that verdict, but back in 2020 with the uh, BLM protests, based on you know, the George Floyd incident, Breonna Taylor, and all those other incidents that happened. Uh, I know the Asian community was really backing what happened with BLM, uh, a, a lot of, uh, at least that's the, the feeling that I got. Um, but now is there a, a sense of, I know Vince, you, you were saying that before, there's a sense with this Asian hate because a lot of these incidents are happening, uh, with the suspects being African-American. Um, that maybe you feel betrayed. What do you think about that, Vince? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I definitely want to bring to the table is when I talk to my, my friends, when I talk to, you know, my buddies who are part of the AAPI community, and, and they, you know, they're all coming from all walks of life. Um, one of the things that that's being brought up is that a lot of the, the Asian youth were pro strong advocates of BLM strong advocates and vocal advocates and, and continue to be supporters of that. And I think it really caught a lot of the Asian youth by surprise to see the Asian elders being attacked by, you know, a, a large amount, uh, at least in, in, a, in the videos of big cities of Chicago, New York, and in the Bay Area of by African Americans as the perpetrators. So it was like, what, what do we do? Like, what do we do? And, and I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's shown in social media where like Jack, there's a, there's an Instagram account called Jackfruit and they post a lot of different, you know, videos that sometimes sensational, sensationalism, sometimes, you know, it's just to kind of educate folks. And they do, they make it a point to say, we're not going to tolerate racism with racism when folks say, oh, see, this is why we don't want to support BLM. And then they go even further than that. And then the, the moderators then will have to delete it. But I think as a community, there's that healing that still needs to be done. And, you know, and I, but on the flip side, you know, what, what Amy was talking about, continuing the allyship, there's a lot of prominent folks out there who are part of the black community who stepped up and said, you know, I'm going to be a voice for, it. I mean, it's, it, it could be some, uh, you know, someone who's like just a, a local community person who's speaking out. You had Dame Lilliard who wore a pre-game shirt, Stop Asian Hate, um, yep. um, Portland Trailblazer Guard, you know, you even had, you know, uh, uh, you know, Meg, Megan D. Stallion, you know, speak out against it. Um, the youth are encouraged by that when they see folks, you know, of the African-American community, you know, stepping in and helping out. And I think, you know, that that's really powerful and continuing like, you know, two different messages doesn't need, doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, um, separate from one another. You know, stopping Asian hate doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stop supporting, you know, uh, folks who are trying to, you know, get equal rights and, you know, and, and the, the livelihoods of African-Americans in, in the community. So I think that's powerful and the allyship is still continuing. Um, but it's hard work because, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis in the community, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be built. 
because of social media and because of everything that's being happening, that, that's being recorded, you know, you, you got to have that real dialect that Chief talking, that, that Chief mentioned, like folks need to sit down and say, well, what's really going on? How can we find a way to build our community back? Absolutely. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So where do we go from here? Um, I know there's a, a bill that was just passed. Let me bring that up, actually, um, so we can talk about that real quick. Uh, give me a second here. There we go. So this bill just recently breezed through the Senate here. And it's an a stop Asian hate bill, hate crime bill that was passed through the Senate. Um, what do you guys think about that? What, what, what do we think the need for this is? Uh, an Asian hate crime bill. What do you think about that, Chief Sean? Wrong button. Sorry, trying to unmute. Um, <laughs> it's it's certainly not going to hurt, um, and I think it's good to kind of keep uh, you know bills like that keep the discussion in the narrative, right? And I think what's the path forward for all of this is continued discussions more on a local community level, right? Because um, you know the federal legislation will come and go, um, and at the end of the day, this would be terrible if the bill gets passed and nothing really changes. So to me, it's a start. But really, the, the the path forward relies on all of us, in whatever communities we're in, um, to take a leadership role in having these discussions and, and meeting, you know, uh, you know, different groups, people that don't look like each other, um, to have these, you know, sometimes even difficult conversations to go forward and break down the barriers. Because you know, I, I know maybe speaking for the Chinese community, it's pretty insular, right? You you kind of stick to yourself, and that's why you have kind of like the Chinatowns, right? And and um, there's some good attributes from that come from that, but really, you know, the silver lining in a lot of this is for the AAPI community to kind of branch out and to get to know that there's others in society, in the communities that they live in that are allies. Um, but that's not going to happen if we don't kind of reach out and talk to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And let me, let me ask, uh, everyone else here on the panel real quick, uh, playing devil's advocate, I hear, uh, what is the need or an Asian hate crime bill? What is the need for any hate crime bill? Uh, these, these are sorts of things that I hear that, you know, a crime is a crime. Why do we need an Asian hate crime bill? What do you think about that, uh, Amy? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Dale. I, I was looking at, uh, uh, in particular, that, uh, that study, that chart that you put up earlier from the Center for Study of Hate and Ex Extremism from CSUSB. If the statistics say that overall nationwide Asian anti-Asian hate crime surged 149%, right? But then overall, overall hate crime dropped 7% in 2020. So wow. so it's like, okay, so and then and then what 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 was astounding to me was New York City 833% increase. Okay, in in in, in anti-Asian hate hate crime. So I, I that was astounding to me that statistic. And so while all these other groups, uh, hate crimes against all these other groups have dropped, the the hate crimes against um, uh, Asian uh, people of Asian descent significantly rose by by three digits. So that tells me that that was why that bill uh, was. Uh, was uh initially 
uh, created and pushed, you know, as far as the impetus with this, this alarming uptick, alarm, alarming rise, acting as the impetus for a crime bill, for a hate crime bill like this. And then in addition to that, um, all the other recent events, including leading throughout the, the hate crimes throughout the pandemic, leading up to the Atlanta area uh, spa shootings, yep. and then uh, the passage of the bill um, this past week. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan, have- as- yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Amy. We got another time. Go ahead. We all wait for the others. I'll, I'll piggyback <laughs> on the others. All right, Jonathan. Hey, real quick, as as a law enforcement officer, why don't you piggyback uh, answer that question as well? What What do you think is the need for any hate crime bill, uh, especially this Asian hate crime bill? That's, that's uh, comes from my position. It's kind of hard, uh, kind of a hard question to uh, to answer. Um, you know, being on the streets for three years, I've seen every um, people from different races being discriminated, and um, it's it's hard, it's hard to it's hard to answer. And it doesn't really need to take. Uh, it doesn't. We don't need to have a, a COVID nineteen to have an Asian Asian hate bill uh, to be passed. That that should have been done a long time ago, and not just for not just for uh, for us, it's for people of all uh, all colors. I agree. I agree. Bring it back here. All right. Can I piggyback off of what Jonathan said and even with Amy uh, and kind of to our conversation earlier too um, in regards to what is being reported versus what isn't because um, I think what we're seeing now is people, it's now televised, right? The revolution is now televised. Things are being filmed, so they're being brought to the forefront. I don't know if someone hadn't caught what happened to um, so many of the victims who were beaten, right? If someone hadn't filmed it, if in fact they would have talked about it. And I also think it comes down to classification as to what exactly is considered a hate crime or what does America want to consider a hate crime. For me, George Floyd was a hate crime, but I don't think it got stated as that. I think it got stated as police injustice or misconduct. And so I think too, we're also having to deal with the nuances of stats, statistics, and what meets a legislative crime or whatever else and things like that. Um, and so I, I, think we, I think we also have to take that when we're having these conversations and presenting these things um, and, and educate in that too, because even within the communities, there are these, um, these long-standing, if you will, um, head bumps, right? There are these things that are already going on within the, the communities of color that are already existent, but given the right film role or given the right um, button, I'll use this to make this the issue and focus the issue when in fact, the fire started you know, up in Congress or the fire started up in here and you use these situations to magnify something that's been long going or uh, long-standing instead yep. of taking ownership for the systemic and the institutionalized policies and um, laws that were in place to continue to perpetuate this cyclic um, devastation to the communities of color, regardless of how we see it. So I think I, I totally agree, but I think that it's important to bring that narrative in there too, that there are some things, not making it right, there are some things that are existent that are playing off of those things, which causes these things to blow up. But now someone took a camera 
and said, I'm going to scapegoat this and make this the issue, or I'm going to make this, I'm going to point the finger this way instead of dealing with the issue. And a lot of times people take it personal instead of dealing with policy. And it's not about personal, it's policy, which then breeds the personal areas and things like that. But I, I definitely agree that as an allyship um, and the other things are, are definitely in place, but I, I don't think we can actually say that these things happen without the other. I don't, I don't yeah. think the strings can be disattached. You, I, I don't know, maybe you all see it a little different. That's just kind of my perception on that. The strings are still attached, even though given the camera roll, they may, they may point it this way, but they're still the, the cameraman is still attached to the camera. I guess that's the yeah. best way I can say that. If, if, if I could jump in real quick, because I, I really love how you brought that to light, Lizzie. Um, you know, laws are, are passed as guidelines for law-abiding citizens, right? And so it's like law-abiding citizens are going to look at that and say, okay, now I know, you know what the rules are. The, the education, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm using that word because I'm the, the educator here, right? The education of why that law exists um, is important to all stakeholders to say, okay, now this is why we still have that, why we have that law. So in passing a bill that, you know, potentially can be a national law saying, uh, you know, Asian hate crime is going to be a federal offense, whatever, you know, the details are, it's teaching our community that this is real because there's going to be folks out there who says, this doesn't exist. I don't think this is in real in my community. I don't know if this is really, you know, something of, a, of an issue that we need to, you know, have on a national forefront. But in doing so, we're, we're teaching, you know, everyone, all stakeholders saying like, look, this is a real thing and we need to address that on a national yep. scale. And I think that's a, um, a powerful message, you know, from our government to say, we're gonna say this is, you know, a real life situation. The, st the stats don't lie when it comes to Asian hate crime. Yeah, and I well think uh, piggyback off that, yeah, definitely well said, uh, Vincent. I, to, big, to piggyback off that is that there, this nation has had a history of laws, you know, legislation that has barred and otherized um, people of Asian descent, and in addition to other people of color, but um, particularly with, um, in and I didn't even mention the the alien land laws in Washington and um, California that barred people of Asian descent from owning land. There's just, there's been a history of all these laws that really just, that were discriminatory, that barred um, people of Asian descent from being a part of the society. But now that there's this piece of legislation, um, the COVID-19 hate crimes bill, I think that it kind of, I want it for lack of a better word, just, is progress in a sense that it is a piece of legislation to at least advocate for this community, you know, for yep. that has had a history of legislation that hasn't really been on their side, that has really disfavored them. And so, although I don't think that this is the only solution, I think that it is progress in that sense. And not to mention, I think um, one of the experts, the policy experts from Stop AAPI Hate told me that hate crimes is just a percentage of the the racism that's against people of asian descent it's just right. it's hate crimes is not the only thing there's other incidents as, as a matter of fact she told me that there's a large percentage that are not hate crimes but incidents hate reports hate incidents racism so and that includes discriminatory language um and, I, and I, let me 
just bring up the uh, percentage, 68.1% uh, is verbal harassment, 20% uh, shunning, and then 11% physical assault. So that just tells you that it's not just hate crimes, it's, it's hate incidents. And then she, um, actually she alluded to another thing too, which is uh, education is a huge part of it. Um, you know, bringing a policy and education, policy to incorporate education about the history um, of, of people of color, uh, of um, Asians, of Asians in America. And in addition to that policy, um, as far as community building and community liaisonship. So um, I think that that's what can really address um, not only hate crimes, but also those hate incidents that make up a large portion of the racism. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. Love that. So bottom line is we all got to live here together, right? So let's, uh, let's work together and make sure that we're all happy and, and prosperous. And that's what uh, the U.S. is all about, this great melting pot of ours. Uh, we're all living here together. Let's, let's work towards a better future, uh, whatever race we are, whatever color we are, ethnic background, uh, religious, sexual orientation, all of that. That's, that's what we're about here at Black and Blue. So I just wanted to get that point forward. So as we wrap this up here, let's, uh, let's get some uh, closing uh, statements from each of you. Uh, what do you want to leave our audience with here as, as we uh, say goodbye to one another? Uh, Jonathan, we'll let you start off here. Uh, well, I just want to say that uh, I came, uh, I came, I, I became a police officer because I want to do the right thing. I wanted to uh, change minds of people in the, in the community. I wanted to bridge that gap. I want to bring that special meaning to uh, community policing. Um, you know, I, uh, I always tell, always tell people to me, I'm a minority just like you. Uh, we might not, uh, we might not look, a lot, look, look the same, but I can relate to you in so many other ways you can never imagine. And uh, just, uh, I just want to make, make, make a difference in, uh, in like in the, in the kids and make sure you know it's. It's hard to uh, it's hard to uh, put in the words with what's going on right now and with everything going on with uh, with uh, people with you know crimes against uh, Asian Americans. It, it took a toll on me to be honest, and uh, I need to take time off uh, and get my mind right, but. I'm moving on, moving forward, and try to be a positive influence to uh, everyone I see out, out on the streets. Appreciate that. Glad you shared that with us. And uh, like that shirt, first of all, not not too keen on the hat, but uh, love the shirt. Just want to let you know that. <laughs> L A. <laughs> all right, go ahead, Vince. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, you know. Um, one of the things that you know i'm gonna use a little silly sports analogy here you know i'm a diehard lakers fan just like dale and you know when we were going through those rough years i think dale and i went to a game where we um we had our starting guys as uh, lonzo and i forget who dale i forgot we were blown out by 20 points and our you know our highlight of the game was just getting the popcorns and the drinks and taking pictures with each other um 
But then one of the silly analogy that I, I want to use is that as Lakers fan, we were so used to being great. We're going to, we said to each other, we'll be back. We're going to get there again. And I feel that's exactly how we should feel as our community, you know, where, wherever we're at, you know, in this great country that we're in, um, there's going to be bumps in the roads. There's going to be moments where, you know, we're going to have, we have a history of, and I think Lizzie brought this, we have a history of, you know, um, you know, transgression, transgression and, and, and issues with our community, but we find a way to heal. We find a way to, to, to rise above it. Um, because we're blessed to be in the situation that we're in, all of us, right? You know, our families immigrating here, you know, our, our you know, whatever it is, how we ended up to where we're at, you know, it may not be the the the, the brightest path or, or the smoothest path, but we're here. And and I would say just continue to, you know, fight the good fight and, and continue to lean on one another because, you know, I'm coming from a position where I see the kids and I see the youth, you know, look at each other and say, there's still hope. There's still faith. Uh, they still have faith for what what's what's out there. I mean, you know, I'm I'm talking to kids about you know having a, a green school campaign going on, and I'm I'm looking at that site. You know, that seems so far off, and they're just like, no, we're gonna we, we have that in mind. We're gonna find a way to make sure what we believe is right is gonna happen before we get out of school, before we get to your age, you know, Mr. Puth. Um, and I, I would kind of say channel that same spirit. Um, whatever line work you're in, especially in the line work that um, a lot of you folks here are watching, um, you know, you're you're in the forefront. You're you know you're putting your lives out there, and we want to continue to acknowledge that you are you know a special group of folks out there working for us. But continue to you know um, have faith that other folks value you guys just as much as you value them. Um, and you know, and I'll leave it with this. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm learning, and I'm even though I thought I knew this, um, the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? I always thought I knew what those those two words were and, and how they, the, you know, are different. But they kept, you know, the kids are teaching me this. Empathy is putting your yourself in someone else's shoes, seeing the world from their perspective, and then how can you find a way to relate to that? And I think that's one of the things that is so underrated um, in our community right now. And, and I hope that we continue to do that to build back and heal like, you know, like we know we can as a country. And like Dale and I know, as the Lakers did, you know, last year when we won a championship. Sorry, Jonathan, I just have to add that in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just had to, had to get that dig in. Had to get that dig in. <laughs> All right, Amy. Uh, yes, yes, indeed, no, indeed. I'm NBA fan too, uh, but I, I would say it's the Warriors for me. <laughs> oh no! Let's end the stream right now. <laughs> you know I'm from LA. <laughs> no, no, that, that's all good. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Amy. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for having me today. It's just been so uh, refreshing and, uh, and, and, and honor to really be able to discuss this topic. And, um, it just goes to show how important it is to have allyship to, um, to help each other as a community. And, um, I think that, that this, um, shows like this, um, black and blue really speaks volumes. And, um, I think one topic that I'm really interested in is how can we increase diversity in law enforcement? You know, that I feel like that could be um, what are the ways, what are the efforts that can be done to increase more people of color in law enforcement? And I, I think that like what can be done as far as that sense. And that's something that has piqued my curiosity and that's something that I want to leave off with. Uh, but in addition to that, I, I, I think that it's just important to just keep um, 
keep uh keep keep this momentum going keep this uh this aware building awareness going that's something that i've really worked with for uh really worked on for many many years and i'm just really heartened to see the community the public really pay paying attention finally about um all of the issues and um in particular uh racism against um the aapi community um that's often been overlooked and um and, and seen as invisible many, many times. So uh, I, I think that that's great. And I think that um, just wanna leave people off with um, don't be silent um, and um, don't be a bystander, um, speak out, speak up, whether it be you, whether it's for your community or if you see something um, in another community, uh, another person of color, um, I think that it's great to have that community and have that allyship. And I'm just really grateful and um, really thankful for the opportunity to to uh, be here today and to be part of the Black and Blue podcast. Uh, thank you, thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. And real quick before we move on to YouTube, Shanga, we had a uh, Leslie Cavazos on Facebook says uh, Jonathan Ghostpers go. So <laughs> you, you got somebody back here backing you there. So <laughs> just wanted to get that there in there for you. You got somebody uh, back up. Is that somebody that you work with? Is that your backup? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. okay, pretty much. There you go. <laughs> There's at least two Spurs fans in the world. All right, appreciate that. <laughs> no, we just, just messing with you. <laughs> Spurs, the big fundamental. That this Tim Duncan's birthday was today, I believe. So there you go. There you go. All right. Yeah. And Chief Sean, last but certainly not least, uh, what do you want to leave our viewers with today? Well, first, I got to throw down the Warriors and give them a shout out. So that that makes it two, two, and two. So I think we're all evenly <laughs> split at this point. Yeah, we're at an impasse. <laughs> uh, no, you know all the other panelists. <laughs> okay, you know all the other panelists just summed it up really well. I think I would just close with uh, you know everyone here and all of your listeners each has a certain amount of influence in their sphere, whether it's at work or whether it's their personal friends. Right. And because of that, that's the first step, right? And this this ongoing really important issue in this country of, of stopping Asian hate, but also um, racial equity and, and just having those difficult conversations about the different structures of racism that the country has had, whether it's legislative, whether it's, um, you know, in the history that we have and or in practice, um, you know, law enforcement's at the forefront of a lot of these discussions. And we're not gonna go anywhere from there because we're gonna be in those discussions, but I would much rather have those discussions with other institutions, right? Whether it's uh, media, politicians, education, health. Um, it, we're not gonna fix this by just putting it all on the shoulders of law enforcement. That doesn't excuse law enforcement. It just means that we're already at the table. We'd love to have a lot of other people at the table with us. Um, you know, So each of you, your listeners, wherever you're at, whatever influence you have, that's where you start. That's where you start to have these discussions. Well said, love that. So I thank uh, all you guys for coming on today with the Black and Blue podcast, Black and Blue Live. Appreciate all you guys' perspectives, what you had to offer for Lizzie and I and, uh, and our audience as well. So it was great having you. I appreciate each and every last one of you and uh, you know, be safe, we appreciate you. All right. All right, that was a great conversation, wasn't it? With uh, with some real good stuff. Yeah, we got I deep in that, so didn't we? Reading and education, and definitely a lot of ally building. 
yes. stop and on my part. Yes. So definitely motivated to, I mean, do more. We do, we do stuff, but I want to do more. Yes. It's important. Well, thank you guys for joining us here. Till next time, my name is Dale. That's Lizzie. This has been a Nature D Entertainment presentation.